tonight, turn to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 26. 1 Samuel, chapter 26, and we'll continue our study, A Tale of Three Rulers. Uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 26, and verse number 1. Remember, when we left David last week, he had been shown great grace uh, by the Lord. God had given him a wife. Um, God knew what David needed before he did. And while he was out all alone, uh, way away from home, uh, God provided him a wife. And just a reminder to me that even when we seem like we're out alone, uh, kind of just doing our own thing, even though we might not be doing anything wrong, but we feel maybe like David did in the wilderness, uh, like we're just kind of out in the desert, that God still provides exactly what we need, when we need it, uh, and many times before we even need it. When we get to chapter 26, we see David and Saul's last communication between each other. Uh, we see that Saul hasn't changed. No matter what Saul says, uh, no matter what he promised to do, he was still going to pursue David. David's life was still at risk. and uh, David is going to be given another opportunity in chapter 26 uh, to do what he said that he would not do. But we're going to see, when given the opportunity, how would David respond in the moment. He had already said, I won't kill Saul. I'm not going to do that. Told his men, I'm not going to do that. But now he's going to be faced with another opportunity with a different spin. And we're going to see how David responds here. So if you're writing notes on your handout tonight, and I would challenge you to make sure that you get a handout either on Wednesday night or Sunday, especially if you're in one of our sermon-based small groups, uh, going back through a passage that's been preached, whether it's a visiting guest or uh, me preaching, it's not an ego trip, I promise you, but we're diving deeper into the Word as we study out the Scripture and uh, hope that you'll, make, um, you'll get connected to one of those groups. But if you're writing notes, number one is the partnership, the partnership that we see mentioned. Look at verse number one. The Bible says, And the Ziphites came unto Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself in the hills of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon? Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul pitched in the hill of Hakalah, which is before Jeshimon, by the way. But David abode in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul was come in very deed. And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his host, and Saul lay in the trench. And the people pitched round about him. In the first verse we see tonight, we see a very familiar group in verse number 1 mentioned. A group called the Ziphites. They've been mentioned before in chapter number 23 in verse number 19 when they came to Saul and they told Saul where David was hiding. It says, First uh, Samuel 23, verse 19, Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth that not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood? The Ziphites were a group that was very loyal to Saul and were proving their loyalty to Saul by ratting out David's position. They didn't have a horse in the race. They were just trying to get Saul and his army to move on and uh, try and get out of their area. But when we saw Saul last, he uh, had an army. Now we see that he has a certain number of men with him. In verse 2, it says he has 3,000 chosen men of Israel. But when we get from chapter 23 to, verse, uh, to chapter 26, the only difference in the first mention of the Ziphites and the second mention of the Ziphites is a conversation had taken place. 
there was a conversation that took place in chapter 24, verses 20 and 21. Remember, Saul had spoken to David. David had opportunity to kill King Saul. And he did not do that. And in chapter 24, verse 20 and 21, the Bible says, And now, this is Saul speaking, And now I know well that thou shalt surely be king. He's talking to David. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. Saul had David promise not to hurt him, not to destroy his lineage, not to destroy his family after he became king, admitting that he knew that David would become the next king. So in short, while Saul doesn't say it, he's implying to David, I'm done hunting for you, David. I'm done searching for you. I'm not going to kill you, David. He's giving him his word. David, if you make me this promise, I'll promise that I won't hunt you down anymore. I'll promise that I won't be looking for you and I won't have my soldiers be searching for you, that they'll kill you on sight. If you'll make me this promise... I'll make a promise. But here's the interesting thing when we get to verse number 2 of chapter 26. Saul is still on the hunt. Saul is still looking for David. And now when he gives the command, no one refutes Saul's command. You say, well, pastor, that's, that's what they're supposed to do. The king was the monarch. He was the one that had the final say. But if you go back 12 chapters... To 1 Samuel chapter 14, when Saul gave the command that he was going to have his own son executed, it says in chapter 14, verse 45, And the people said unto Saul, Shall Jonathan die, who hath wrought this great salvation is Israel? God forbid, as the Lord liveth, there shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground. For he hath wrought this with God this day. So the people rescued Jonathan that he died not. Somewhere along the line between chapter 14 when the people stood up and chapter 26, they had gotten really comfortable staying seated and staying silent. Somewhere between chapter 14 when they said, you're not going to kill Jonathan. We're not going to allow it. And chapter 26, when Saul has given his word, we're not going to pursue David anymore. And now, in chapter 26, all of a sudden, guys, let's go back out and let's look for David. We've been given his position. Let's go out and get him. All of a sudden, nobody says a word. That reminds me of our day today. We have gotten really comfortable sitting down. And staying silent. Now is not the time for the church to be silent. Now is not the time for the church to stay seated. Now is not the time for us to go back in our hole and say, Well, Jesus is coming soon. We've just got to endure to the end. We've just got to get to that point. What if that point doesn't happen in our lifetime? Are we going to stay silent all of that time? Are we going to stay in our seat all that time? Are we going to go back in our hole all that time and do nothing while this generation passes on that we heard about just a few weeks ago from Pastor Tool, where we go from this generation, walk with God, spent time with Him, and saw God 
God work. And this one just observed from a distance to where the generation finally came up and said, we don't even know God. That's our choice, church. We're not sitting here saying, well, you know, if they'll do it, I'll do it. We should do it regardless if anybody else does it. Because it's the right thing to do. We've been given a command. We've been given an instruction manual to follow. And if we're not going to do it, who will? You know, we have a testimony on the line. We have a name and a reputation on the line. Say, Pastor, are you concerned what people think about Crossroads? When it comes down to what I believe people think about Crossroads versus what God thinks about us, I want to know that we're in good favor and good standing with what God thinks about us. Let God be true and every man a liar. I want God's favor. I want God to receive the glory. I want God to be honored. And if everybody else doesn't like us, yet God is honored, that's good enough. Well, you know, I I want my people to like me at work. I would rather God like me than the people I work with like me. Some of those people are in the room. Uh, But, you know, I, I want God to be pleased. I want God to be honored. In our life today, are you standing up? Are you speaking up? When those around you stay silent, do you speak up? Are you speaking up when someone tells a joke in your presence that you know does not honor the Lord? Are you speaking up when gossip takes place right in front of you? Are you speaking up when slander happens? When sin is choked about, where are the Christians that will boldly say, this is not right, and we're not going to do it? You can't use the argument, well, you know, pastor, that's just not my temperament. That's not my personality type. Because the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1, that the righteous are bold as a lion. Not the righteous are supposed to be. The righteous are bold as a lion. Say, oh, pastor, I know my life, and I know that I'm not that righteous. That word, righteous, is talking about those who say that God is their God. So if you say that Jesus is your Savior and God is your God, you're in that category. And if you are in that category, then God has emboldened you and I to speak truth when we need to say something. We are righteous. We are bold, those who name the name of Christ. David heard about the crowd that's now coming into the valley, and he wanted to know, is it Saul? Maybe there was a fleeting hope in David's mind. Maybe Saul will keep his word. Maybe something has changed in his life and God has done a work in his heart. Surely this can't be Saul looking for me again. He promised. But he does something in verse number 6 that's unique. He finds out that this is Saul. It was truly him. Verse 4 was come in very deed. Hey, that, that is Saul. It's been verified. The spies have gone out. We know that it's him. Verse 5, David sees him. Verse 6, David asks for volunteers. Now, I can see that sounding something like this. Who wants to go and sneak into this army of 3,000 guys just to see if it's really them? Who's willing? Can you see all the hands like, man, I hope he raises his hand because I'm not going to. He asked people. Look at verse number 6. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Abishai the son of Zariah, brother to Joab, saying, 
who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? Now, what's interesting here is not everyone David asks goes. Volunteered or voluntold, not everybody signs up. Either way. Ahimelech says, not I, says the brown cow. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going. It's interesting that Ahimelech is from the same place, the same region, that Uriah, the husband of Bathsheba, is from. Remember that guy? The guy that David had killed, Uriah the Hittite? Ahimelech is only mentioned right here in the Scripture. And it just happens to be the same place, the same region, the same town, the same country that Uriah is from. And it says, to Abishai. And Abishai says, Abishai, that guy. Abishai says, I will go down with thee. Verse 7, so David and Abishai came to the people by night. Behold, Saul lay sleeping within the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. But Abner and the people lay round about him. They're in the middle of the camp. Abishai. Abishai is the brother of Joab. He's the daughter of Zariah, who consequently is one of David's sisters. So this guy, Abishai, is David's cousin. Oh, good cousin Abishai. And Abishai had a tendency to want to kill people. Every time you see Abishai mentioned, he's ready to kill somebody. In 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 9, it says, Then said Abishai, the son of Zariah, unto the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over, I pray thee, and take off his head. Sounds like a good, loving guy. Hey, I'm, every time he's mentioned, he's killing someone. But here we see, if Abishai is that kind of guy, if there was a fight close by, Abishai is putting on the gloves and he's putting on his shoes like, we're going. Let's, let's go hop in the ring and help. That was his temperament. And what they saw was a group of people surrounding the king. But there's a partnership that's right here. There's a partnership. There's an agreement. We're in this thing together and for the church tonight. We need people like that as well. We need people partnered with us. Not just looking for somebody, but willing to be that somebody. Where I'm looking to partner with someone. I'm going to go out of my way to partner with someone. But then number two, we see the pressure that's mentioned. Verse 8 through 12, remember, David and Abishai in the middle of 3,000 warriors. Saul, Abner. Abner has this reputation of... He is the prime bodyguard for Saul. We'll talk about him in a minute. But the time's perfect. Great setting to show what David could do. But just because you have the right people around you doesn't always mean that it's going to be easy to do what's right. Especially when those right people around you are trying to pressure you to do wrong. Was Abishai wrong for what he says here? No. Abishai had good intentions. You're the king. You're you're the next king. You're the anointed one. Uh, Saul is out for your life. Let's just make it easy. Look at verse 8. And said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. David, we have prayed that God would protect you. We have prayed that God would rescue you. And now, here's the enemy. God has gifted this to you. Be careful when people try and spin what's wrong and they try to tag God's name to it. Well, God told me 
there, there's a lot of people that think God told them stuff and maybe they had pizza the night before and it was indigestion speaking, but it wasn't God. When God speaks, it always is confirmed in His Word. So we can look back and say, did God really say that? Because His Word will validate what He says, what He leads us to do. And Abishai says, God's done this, but look at the middle of the verse. Now therefore, because of what God's done, let me smite him. Hey David, I know the last time you were apprehensive and you had a change of heart and uh, you know, God, God gave him to you, and uh, in the cave there didn't get I. Uh, God gave him to you, but you know, you didn't strike him then, even though you had a chance. So if you're still nervous, David, you let me do it. I'll take care. You won't even have to lift a finger, just wink, just nod. It's dark, just wave something. Just let me do it. He says, Let me spite him, I pray thee. And look at his description, with a spear even at the earth at once. Hey, that spear right there, I will smite him and I won't do it twice. There will only be one blow and it'll be over. I'll make it quick, painless, final. If you'll just give me the word. So easy. This is peer pressure at its finest. David, if you'll just let me do it, I'll do it. Just give me the word. And Abishai offers an easy solution. You ever felt like good people put pressure on you to do what you don't think is right? They might have good intentions. They may even say, well, God is doing this. Don't you see that God is leading this? God has made this so plain. But there's something inside you that says, this is just not right. You know, Aesop, you know, Aesop's fables. Aesop said, Yield to all, and you will soon have nothing to yield. Yield to all, and you will soon have nothing to yield. While this might have been an easy decision, David saw this as an opportunity just to be who he was born to be. You know who that was? A leader, the man after God's own heart. This is a moment. You might think, man... I might as well just give in. People are pressuring me. But church, it's those moments. It's those moments when we're pressured. And we're feeling the heat. And we're feeling that peer pressure. When people are looking at us and saying, are they going to do the right thing? Are they going to do the wrong thing? Are they going to finally give in? It's in those moments when we get to be who God created us to be. It's in those moments where we get to show others, hey, I'm not like everybody else. I'm not like the world. I don't think like everybody else thinks. I want to make sure this is what God wants me to do first before I do what I might want to do on the inside. At the end of our lives, we only have to please one person. Remember, David responded accordingly in verse number 9, the same uh, chapter. He says, destroy him not. For who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die. He shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. Think about this. This is incredible. David says, not today. Not going to do it. God forbid that I should do it. And David didn't have to, but he was the one who would be held responsible. Abishai would say, David gave me the word. 
come back with Saul's head. What did you do? David told me I could. David was the one who was going to be held responsible. And David is showing Abishai that even though they had an opportunity to do what was easy, it didn't make it right. Following the Lord, following him, is never easy. But it's always right. A.W. Tozer said, If I am to wholly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. If I am to wholly follow the Lord Jesus Christ, I must forsake everything that is contrary to him. You know, sometimes that might be people. Sometimes it's an opportunity. Sometimes it might be a position that I might have to pass on. But here's the truth. If my purpose in life is to follow Jesus, then I have to ask what is best for him, not what's best for me. If the sole purpose, my purpose of life, my purpose for living is to follow Jesus. I have to ask what's best for him, not what's best for me. You know, this couldn't have been easy for David. This was, a, this was a major pull. He knew what his head was telling him. He knew what his heart was saying. He knew what he could do. He knew what he should do. All of these things. He knew what Saul's mission was. Saul's determined he's going to end my life. And yet David was content to leave it in the hands of God. Look at verse 10 again. As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him. Hey, I'm not going to do God's job. Do you realize that God never asks us to do his work? Well, pastor, it's our responsibility to see people saved. No, it's not. Well, it's my responsibility to do all these things that God says he's going to do. No, it's not. Well, pastor, if God doesn't come through, he expects me to do it. No, he doesn't. God expects us to be faithful and to be obedient, period, and let him handle the rest. That's why there are only two commands given to us. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love him. Second commandment's like unto it. Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love others. Everything else flows out of that. Do you realize that the Ten Commandments that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 20 can be boiled down into those two commands? Love God first, supremely, and love others. That's it. Serving God while it might not be easy, is not that difficult to comprehend. It's simple. He made it simple. Sheep are not the smartest animals in the barnyard, y'all. And yet, that's what we're compared to. We need it dumbed down for us. Follow God. Follow Him. Love God. Love others. Are we content with leaving it in God's hands? If God doesn't come through the way that you think it's going to, are you content with leaving it in his hand? Just because they wouldn't kill him didn't mean that they couldn't prove a point. Look at what happens. Verse 12. So David took the spear and his yeti cup. That's what it says. Cruise of water is his yeti cup. Hey, don't mess with a man's yeti cup. 
Huh? Yes. Uh, mine's right down there, and I'll need it in just a minute. Uh, David took the spear and the cruise of water from Saul's bolster. and They got them away. No man saw it, nor knew it, nor awake. Now look at this. For they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord was falling upon them. Isn't that cool? Remember the first time we saw a deep sleep, God was doing something awesome. God caused the deep sleep to come on Adam and took a rib from his side. Caused a deep sleep. Remember when Abraham, God caused Abraham to go into a deep sleep and God, they were going to have that, that agreement where they would split the animals in asunder and Abraham was going to walk through and carry the fire as a representative of keeping that, that covenant. And God causes Abraham to go to sleep. And who goes through the animals? God does. God does. Why did God do that? Because God knew that Abraham could never keep the covenant. So God says, Abraham, you go over there and sleep. I'll walk through. You stay there. I'll walk through because I will never break the covenant. God causes a deep sleep to fall on all these people. And it makes me wonder, what if they would have chose to kill Saul? Would God have woken them all up? Because if these men wake up, they're all dead. God protected them. Why? Because they did what was right. Hey, don't worry about whether or not God's going to protect you when we do what is right. Now, let me say this with that. That doesn't mean that everything's always going to work out the way you want. But we don't need to be worried about whether it's going to work out when we do what is right. God is in the middle. Partnership. Pressure, number three, the punishment. Verse 13, <clears throat> then David went over to the other side, stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great space being between them. That was a smart decision. 3,000 men and David and his 600 men, five to one odds, a great space being between them. And David cried to the people and Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Answerest thou not, Abner? Then Abner answered and said, Who art thou that cries to the king? David said to Abner, Art not thou a valiant man? Who is like thee in Israel? Wherefore, why, then hast thou not kept thy lord the king? Hey, why haven't you protected? You're supposed to be a warrior, Abner. This is proving a point on steroids. Aren't you supposed to be the biggest, baddest dude in town? Aren't you supposed to be the mighty Abner? Aren't you supposed to be the one who's been tasked with keeping Saul safe? For there came one of the people in to destroy the king, thy Lord. Hey, Abner, you didn't do your job. You haven't done your job. Because one came to kill the king. It wasn't David. But there was a guy with David that was ready to kill Saul. Verse 18, or 16, this thing is not good that thou hast done. As the Lord liveth, ye are worthy to die, because you not kept your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is. Hey, look around. Do you see that spear? You see his Yeti cup? It's not there because it's over here, Abner. I've got it because you didn't do your job. Now, it's interesting that they didn't have a sentry posted. They had nobody standing guard in the night. And he points out Abner. Abner, this is your fault. Imagine how he feels when David points out, here's Saul's spear. Here's his cup. And the only way that I could have got those is for you to sleep on the job. 
But even in his comments, pointing out Abner, he points out two things. He points out, David, I'm Saul's servant, and Saul is the Lord's anointed. Think about the fact that he, had, he could have railed and said, I'm supposed to be the king, and I could have killed him, and I could have... But he said, I'm still a servant. But that is the Lord's anointed. That guy who David's getting ready to talk to. Remember, verse 9, we're not going to stretch our hand against the Lord's anointed. 1 Samuel 24, 6, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed. Later in the verse, seeing he's the anointed of the Lord. But Abner had allowed someone to get close enough to strike Saul. This was something worthy of death. And David points it out in verse 16. Abner had a reputation of being by Saul's side for everything. 1 Samuel 20, he's next to Saul's side at dinner when David wasn't there. Saul rails on Jonathan for David not being there. Abner is sitting right next to Saul. Saul was, or Abner was there. Abner was the one in chapter 17 when David was pointed out and David kills Goliath. And Saul says, hey, who is that guy? Where's he from that killed Goliath? And Abner is the one that said, that's the son of Jesse. Abner had a reputation and he blew it. And in this, Abishai came into the camp as the enemy and grace is shown to Saul. You think about all the times that our enemy comes into our camp and would love to strike us, would love to kill us while we sleep. But grace is given. And he's not allowed to carry out his plan. Think about all the times that God has spared us in our life. Whether since Jesus has come in, or even at times before Jesus came in. I'll never forget talking to a lady in the parking lot. And she was talking about all the times that God had been with her in her life before she got saved. And I said, you know, God has always been around you. But I don't think God has been in you protecting you. But he's been around you protecting you. And sometimes in our life, God protects everything around. All those moving pieces around us trying to let us see him. Get us to the point where we see him. That's not because we're good, by the way. That's because he's good. We see the, the pressure. We see the partnership, the punishment. Thirdly, we see the, or fourthly, we see the plea. Verse 17. Saul is laying there, and I can almost see Saul you know, rubbing sleep out of his eyes. Here's a familiar voice. Verse 17, he says, Is this my, thy voice, my son, David? Is, is, David, is that you? And David said, it is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, David, wherefore doth my Lord thus pursue after his servant? Why, hey, Saul, why are you still following me? Why are you still after me, Saul? This doesn't make sense. Why are you doing this? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, I pray thee, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the Lord hath stirred thee up against me, let him accept an offering. But if they be the children of men, cursed be they before the Lord. For they have driven me out this day from abiding in the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Hey, if somebody has told you something that I'm hunting you down, Saul, let them be accursed. But if this is God, then let me do something to make it right. 
Let me provide an offering. Do something. David's primary concern was the fact that he was being driven away and was not able to worship. Saul's actions had hindered David's ability to worship. I wonder sometimes if our actions towards others do the exact same thing. Do, speak, do people spend time with us? And by spending time with us, does it hinder their desire to worship the Lord? Does our testimony in front of other people make people want to follow the God that we say we follow? Does spending time with us excite people for the Lord? Or say, hey, if, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with that. Which one is it? Do people desire to worship the Lord? Do the things I do push people away from wanting to serve the Lord? Romans chapter 12, verse 18. As If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Philippians 1.27. Only let your conversation, your manner of living, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. David had no more consequence to Saul or no more threat to Saul. And he says in verse 20, you came out to seek a flea. I, I'm not any more threat to you than a flea is to a bird in the mountains. I don't know why. And if this was the end for God, that God had planned for David, why? why? Why, Saul, are you doing this? This is not God's plan. And then we see, lastly, the parting words. Look at verse 21. Then said Saul... Here it is. This is the last time that they would speak together. Then said Saul, I have sinned. Big whoop. Saul had said this before. This wasn't anything different. Hey, we just heard this two chapters ago, Saul. Just heard it in the cave. It didn't get I. We heard this before. You haven't changed. But look at what Saul says. I have sinned. Return, my son David. Hey, why don't you come home with me? That's not going to happen. For I will no more do thee harm. Because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool. There's that word again we talked about last week. Nabal. Nabal. That guy who was the fool. Played the fool. And have erred exceedingly. Verse 22. And David answered and said, Behold, the king's spear. And let one of the young men come over and fetch it. All of a sudden, everything's fine. Everything's fine now. If, if, if you'll just come back, everything will be fine. David said, Behold the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and fetch it. David still wasn't convinced. You think about it, If David was convinced, he could have said, Saul, why don't you come over? We'll make it right. It's not what happened. He said, send one of the young men. Verse 23, the Lord rendered every man his righteousness, his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered thee in my hand today, and I would not stretch forth my hand against, there it is again, the Lord's anointed. Behold, as thy life was much set by thee by this day in mine eyes, so let my life be much set by in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt both do great things, and all shalt still prevail. So David went on his way. And Saul returned to his place. They part. They're done. What a great day it is when those enemies or those who have wronged us admit that they're wrong. David had just seen the actions of a fool in Nabal, Nabal, and he got a wife out of it. 
the actions of this fool, a foolish king. And what's he going to get out of it? He's going to be gifted a kingdom because of it. Because of Saul's action. Last time they'd see each other. The next time David would hear from Saul would be in 2 Samuel chapter number 1 and verse number 4. When a young man comes and says, the people are fled from the battle. Many of the people also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. The next time, the last words David heard from Saul were remorse and regret. Even though Saul didn't have a good track record. Even though Saul had lied before. The last thing that David had to hold on to from Saul were words of repentance. Maybe this time he meant it. Maybe this time. In verse 25, we see that Saul pronounces a blessing on David for his behavior. Do great things. Still prevail. They each went their separate ways. But at least they were at peace. At least in this moment, they were at peace with each other. You know, it might not be permanent, but when you part ways with someone, can you at least say that you're at peace? Can you at least say, I'm not going to battle that person anymore. I'm not going to fight that person anymore. You might not have the relationship that you want, and David knew for him to go home would be foolish. I'm not going to go back and be in Saul's presence because he may have a change of heart. I know that that's not going to happen, but at least they can move on. I love the verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, when it says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Talks about restoration, verse number 1. I think sometimes we think that restoration is someone sliding back into whatever role they had in our life when, when they fell or when that relationship was severed. But restoration is not someone coming back into a position Restoration is all about restoring a relationship. Not necessarily, that person may never get that position they held before. They may not ever give it back. But they can restore a relationship. Might not ever be what it was. Might not be what either party ever want or what they feel like it needs to be. But can you move forward in peace? Do you have a resolve for those relationships to be restored. Paul Tripp said, true restoration takes patience, subtlety, skill, and grace. Patience, subtlety, skill, and grace. You know, in a relationship where damage has been done, are you working towards restoration? You may say, Pastor, I'm as restored as I'm ever going to get, and that might be fine. But do both parties know it? Is one party still trying to lean in, trying to repair, 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 and you say, hey, this is all I can do. I'm done. Is one party over on the other side saying, I don't ever want to restore? Do you know where that line is? Have you reached that point? Are you working towards that? Saul and David split ways right here. This is as good as it was ever going to be. But the thing is, when you get to chapter 1, of 2 Samuel, even though this was as good as it was going to be, when David heard that Saul and Jonathan were dead, it crushed him. Not just that his best friend died, but that his king had died. His leader had died. 
You know, maybe some of that was remorse. Maybe some of that was just respect. But he was gone. And he had to live with the fact that this was as good as it would ever be. Are you okay right now? Knowing that that's the best where it is right now. The relationship that you might have that's been severed. Are you okay with where it stands right now? Is that the best that it'll ever be? And are you okay with that? Can you go to sleep at night? Lay your head on the pillow and know I did my best. I've done everything that I could. David did. Still hurtful. Still hurt when he was gone, but David had done his best. Have you done that? And are we striving for that, working towards restoration? Father, please bless your word. Lord, thank you so much for how you have used your word in our lives. Lord, I ask that you please continue to watch over us, give us direction in the days ahead. Thank you so much for how you've led us this far. Lord, please work in our hearts and lives and help us to be people of restoration. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to go to our prayer time.